I'm Tim Kittrow, and you're tuned in to the Important Nonsense Podcast with Steve Bonham. Attention, Alan Hearn's mom. His knee is better. <laughs> you can stop worrying. Neil Smith. Even with the concussion, as long as he's cleared, probably don't have a better option. Jack Kavanaugh. Raheem Moster, as I would like to call him. And Jason Draven. Nah, man. Just let's watch some football. Boom shakalaka. Welcome into the Important Nonsense Podcast Week 12 Preview Edition. I'm your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Kavanaugh, and I am here once again to recap Thursday football for you, prevent the weekend slate, and help you set your lineup. And this becomes an even bigger show with two Thanksgiving Thursday games. With the big show, we need the big brain of at that FF nerd to help us through. So welcome in the important nonsense start, sit, savior. It's Jason Draven. Jason, how's it going, buddy? Pretty good. I was excited to have... Thanksgiving games, have the day off, be able to relax, enjoy food, be with family, all that great stuff. I was blown away by the fact there wasn't three like we were promised, but we'll get into that later. So I also got some Black Friday shopping done, got a brand new vacuum, which I am pumped to use. Talk about being an old man, but man, I am so excited to use it. How about you? Did you get a chance to be off or what was your your day like? Spent the day watching football. Oh, it was fantastic. You cannot complain about it. Wish it did carry into the night and not just the day. But beggars can't be choosers. And be sure to follow Jason at that FF nerd, especially because as we get later in the year, your start to sit decisions become even more important. So why not go to the best? And speaking of the best, we've brought in the best McDonald I know. Please welcome back at Donald McJordan. It's Jordan McDonald. Jordan, how's it going today? I'm doing well, Jack. I can't believe that you think that I'm a better McDonald than Cole McDonald. I know that you're a big Cole McDonald guy, and I, I feel I feel glad that he you- doesn't have a job right now. And I, I, you do. You're working with me, so gotta gotta go with my boy. All right. Well, I I respect that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. And let's talk about some football. I liked the games last or yesterday, even though Will Fuller kind of killed me in one league, but in another league, Antonio Gibson propped me up to begin my week. So, you know, it's a give and take. So, yeah, let's get into it. It's always a pleasure to get to work with you, Jordan, and it's a pleasure to follow you everywhere at Donald McJordan, and you can read the work of Jordan, myself, Jason, and the rest of the Important Nonsensors over at importantnonsense.com, and on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at NonsenseFF. Enough about us, let's get to the Turkey Day action, and I am sorry, I would just like to extend my sincerest apologies to the city of Detroit. You did not deserve the last three years of Matt Patricia, but you did deserve to have the Thanksgiving dreams come true. The Houston Texans blew out the Lions 41 to 25, and somehow, some way, we're over 24 hours later, Matt Patricia still has a job. I am shocked. So after zero first half takeovers to this point in the season from the Texans, they had five total takeaways entering the game. The Houston defense had two in the first quarter. They had a pick six from J.J. Watt, primetime players making primetime plays. Speaking of, Deshaun Watson, four touchdowns. Talk about a primetime performance, 318 yards. Great day for the Texans, although on a day where you are supposed to give thanks, you know, you think you're in a generous mood. You want to spread the love, share the wealth. Not the case for Will Fuller, though. He hogged all the stats. Six grabs, 171 yards, two TDs, 
29.1 fantasy points before we even add the three or six, depending on your PPR settings. Absolutely immaculate. And sure, we did see a nice little five for 85 from Brandon Cooks, but I called over 100 and a touchdown from both. So I'm a little bit salty at how selfish Mr. Fuller was. That may have something to do with the Texans releasing Kenny Stills today after the game. It was a mutual parting, apparently. He'll hit waivers tomorrow. I can't believe how quickly the Texans would give up on Kenny Sills, especially after giving up two first rounders for him. You, you would think that they would uh, they'd give him a little bit more time to mesh. That's just that's just Bill O'Brien. It's the Bill O'Brien era. Yeah, I'm I'm shocked. Anyways, um, on to Duke Johnson. His uh, fantasy GMs had a happy Thanksgiving after some early scares in the season, or since he became the lead back. He struggled to get things early, struggled things to get things going early in the game. But, you know, when the Texans were on the goal line, they did bring in CJ Procise, who caught a two-yard touchdown. But on the next drive, Procise did end up fumbling, then got yanked. And then he ended his day with just a TR grab, five carries of 12 yards. I don't understand. If you played Marvin Jones, that was a mistake. And you should have listened to the preview show. I would have told you, sit him. He goes for 48 yards on six grabs. Nothing from him. Instead, it's Mohamed Sanu who has the day, catches four balls for 32 yards, all in garbage time. Because why would you play a young up-and-comer and see what if he has what it takes? Like Travis Fulgham, who you cut, when you can trot out Mohamed Sanu. Yay, let's go. It's probably the same reason he gave the, the, that the Lions gave Adrian Peterson 15 carries for 55 yards. He did rumble his way for two touchdowns, but he's also outproduced by Carryon Johnson. And that's right. We're getting some Carryon Johnson hype on this show because he ran for 46 yards on 11 carries, caught four balls for 52 yards. That's a 98-yard day from scrimmage for him. And it makes me wonder, why did we bring in Adrian Peterson in the first place? We could have just rolled with a DeAndre Swift Carryon Johnson committee all along. Would have made a lot more sense. Would have been a lot more explosive. But no, let's trot out all these old players. So finally, as I close out my Lions rant, and thank you all for bearing with me because I know this is a lot, but I need to get this out. The next big thing, TJ Hawkinson, end of the first quarter, he's at three receptions, 78 yards. Lions are down 13-7, so you think they're going to feed him because it's still a game. TJ Hawkinson finished the game with five grabs for 89 yards on only seven targets. I don't understand how this happens. How does TJ Hawkinson have seven targets when Marvin Jones has 12? How does he not have 15 targets a game? How does Matt Patricia still have a job? Okay, I'm done. I'm, 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 anyone else have anything to say about this game? Or can we move on? Because I am done. Yeah, can I just quickly say that I, for the entire season, I've been saying, why are you giving Adrian Peterson all these touches when you have Carryon Johnson? And thankfully, Carryon Johnson proved me right. Yeah, yeah, 98 yards from scrimmage. And they continue to run the old man out. Like he's in his prime. So I agree. The carry on Johnson, uh, DeAndre Swift committee would have been an exciting watch. And possibly both those players could have had really good value this year if they decided not to bring an AP. But I'm done with this game too. Yeah. Thankful for me and the Fancy Life app users who love to test me and my patients every week as I try to stay off my phone during Thanksgiving. Can I help myself as I try to be a constant in the FLA community? I had who I I was asked who I wanted to play in this contest, and I had nice, short, sweet answer. It was going to be Watson, Fuller, Cooks, AP, Hawk, and Houston, Stee. So thankfully, all those worked out. However, I agree, Will Fuller was too selfish, so annoying, especially on that flea flicker. I was just hoping that was Brandon Cooks wide open over there, but no, of course not. Had to be, if he would just had one touchdown, it would have been so amazing. But 
However, still not a horrible day. Just should have been better. Let's go check out the Washington football team versus the Cowboys. Yeah, thanks for that segue, Jason. So, yeah, let's move on to this game as the Washington football team destroyed the Dallas Cowboys 41 to 16 and took first place in the NFC East, giving them the inside track to host a playoff game while sitting at four and seven. There's not much to say about the Cowboys. 250 passing yards, a touchdown, and interception from Andy Dalton. But over half that yardage in the score went to Amari Cooper. Cooper cut six of his eight targets for 112 yards and a touchdown. C.D. Lamb had five grabs for just 21 yards. Dalton Schultz had five grabs for just 24 yards. But we got to see a Michael Gallup sighting. He had six grabs for only 41 yards. None of this was really out of the norm, except for the Michael Gallup stealing targets from Schultz. That was super annoying. Cooper remains the target for Dalton. You can fire him out every week because he's going to get those targets. The more disappointing thing is about how bad Ezekiel Elliott looked. Granted, it was that tough Washington front, but I still think Pollard looks like the better back and a legit, legitimately a better runner. Yeah, that's where I was going with this. Like The Cowboys' backs weren't serviceable at all in terms of fantasy. They did lose Zach Martin, their all-pro right guard who had kicked out to be their right tackle due to all the injuries. He's out three to four weeks with calf injuries, and the backs hurt severely because of it and will continue to going forward. Zeke, 39 yards on 11 touches. Tony Pollard, 22 yards on six touches. Just a bad game all around from Dallas in the run game and from the passing game, unless he started Amari Cooper. But it was a beautiful day from Antonio Gibson, as Jordan alluded to earlier. 20 carries, 115 yards, and three tugs. Adds another 21 yards on five grabs. So Gibson, he ends up with 136 yards from scrimmage, 31.6 fantasy points before we add in the PPR magic. And the best part is, this actually looks sustainable now because J.D. McKissick, he comes in for just one carry, six yards. He does catch both of his targets, so only two targets, 21 yards. Now, again, this was a lot of game script dependent, and that's why Peyton Barber had 11 carries for 51 yards. But Gibson still out-targeted J.D. McKissick 7-2, to two, so he is a full-fledged bell cow at this point. Can we get excited enough about Antonio Gibson? My word. Yeah, I hope so, and I hope that this is sustainable. And it seems like McKissick is uh is based off game script now, and we can't really tell which games the Washington football team will be losing. So it's going to be a risky play if you've been relying on McKissick here on in. But yeah, with the big game from Gibson, we didn't really see much from Alex Smith. Uh, he was reported before the game. It was reported for the game that Ron Rivera wants Smith to come back for 2021. Who knows what they're going to do with Dwayne Haskins? But on a quiet day, Smith completed 73.1% of his, his attempts for 40, 149 yards and a touchdown and an interception. Of course, 61.7 of those yards went to Terry McLaurin, of course. He goes for 92 yards on seven grabs. He and Logan Thomas are the only pass catchers that matter in this offense, and that's because Thomas catches a touchdown. He actually threw a pass to McLaurin. The former Virginia Tech quarterback caught four, four passes for 20 yards and the score. And yeah, he threw that 28-yard pass to McLaurin, so that's just a little bit extra if you played him. And he gave, he gained three yards on a read option play. Yeah, and I think fading Alex Smith has to be one of the easiest things because he really is just a game manager. Takes care of the ball, allows massive day from Gibson. Everyone knew it was coming. The surprising part was the little use of McKissick, but I think that was just game script, as you guys mentioned. Gibson gobbled all of that up too. Glad he put up my boy Thomas. In the what is it, Wednesday show, so pumped for you, Jack. Glad that worked out. And he showed off his cam as he dropped a dime to Terry. But speaking of weird things, 
what were the Cowboys thinking with their fake punts and going for it on fourth down? It was just a huge mess. I don't understand what they're thinking over there. And even worse, why is Peyton Barber still being used in Washington? What are you guys doing? I'm not totally against going for it on fourth and short. That's okay. But the fake punts, no. Like, if you're going to go for it, go for it with gusto. Use your offense who actually meant to be out there. And, yeah, Peyton Barber, there's no excuse for that. We're going to move on because we're not talking about Peyton Barber any more than we have. Going to do it from the Thursday Thanksgiving slate. We can finally move on from these two stinkers of a game. But before we head to the break, we do have to address the fact that the Houston Texans defense scored 16 points. And the Washington football team's defense, they scored you 15. So if you played Washington like me, you're thrilled. If you, for some reason, played the Texans, which is a weird decision, sounds like one that Jason made earlier in the week, and it paid off for him. But if you played the Cowboys, you got a one. You played the Lions, you got a zero. So hopefully you didn't do that. So if we're still scrambling for a defense right now, Jason, who are you suggesting for us? Well, as you said, if you missed out being in the Start Set community on the Fantasy Life app, you missed out playing Washington and Houston. I'm okay playing the Giants against the Bengals. Going up against Brandon Allen after the injury to Burrow, the only time you would have seen him in his three games with the Broncos, where he went one for two, and never having thrown over 240 yards, and only throwing three touchdowns in three games. Over the past three weeks, this team is tied for the 12th best defense. The other option is a little riskier, but it's the Seattle Seahawks and their funnel defense. They are strong against the run. They get to go against Carson Wentz, who really has been struggling. He looked completely lost. The team also lost Lane Johnson for the year, and the Seahawks have impressed me the past three weeks. The defense has kept Jared Goff, Josh Allen, and Kyler Murray to just okay days and hasn't had negative points, which is pretty impressive going against the three quarterbacks. I will fully co-sign with you on the Giants. I am very in on Wayne Gallman for the first time in my life, mind you, this week, because I think it's going to be a blowout, lack of scoring. Giants are going to run the ball. It's going to be a lot of garbage time for them. Seahawks, they are a bit riskier, but at this point, I am never going to tell someone to bet to not bet against Carson Wentz because he stinks it right now. He's terrible. You know who is the exact opposite of Carson Wentz? It's our boss, at Nonsense underscore Steve, Steve Bonham, because I actually want to listen to him. So let's kick it to Steve and a word from our sponsors. We are back and into the news, and unfortunately, Lamar Jackson has tested positive for COVID-19 due to some issues with a staffer and some contact tracing. Tracing. The game has been shifted to Tuesday night football, so we will have three straight days of football, which is a fun fact, fun night time for us. Even so, the Ravens will still be out with the QB1 Lamar, their RB1 and RB3 in J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram. They'll be missing their center one, Patrick McCarry, their former starting center, now backup offensive lineman Matt Skura. They'll all be out for the offense. On defense, we'll be missing Pernell McPhee and Calais Campbell at the very least. As always, our thoughts are with all those impacted by COVID-19. We wish for a speedy and full recovery, and they'll all have a chance to return for Week 13. Sticking in the AFC North, the Bengals finally placed Joe Burrow on IR and activated Brandon Allen, like Jason said. He was activated on the practice squad, and he will start over Ryan Finley. The injury for Joe Burrow, if you if you have him in your lineup, if you have any Bengals in your lineup, sorry, don't play them. Sit them, and I don't care who you have on your bench. It's probably a better option because most of the Bengals are pretty much worthless for the rest of the season, unless Brandon Allen can show some chemistry with one of these guys. Yeah, and that's where the issue is. I think you need to hold Higgins and Boyd for now because Allen will lock on one of them. Not sure which one yet, but we will find out hopefully this week. So just to keep that in mind. 
won't be AJ Green, though. I just want to put that out there. Keep Higgins, keep Boyd, don't play him, hold him, pop Green. Teddy Bridgewater is expected to play this week. He practiced at full. So it looks like XFL MVP PJ Walker will head back to the bench with an undefeated 1 0 record in the NFL and a 6 0 record in professional football over this past year. Yeah. Unfortunately, this is bringing the roulette wheel for who will be the wide receiver one in Carolina. Teddy, you saw what Moore can do. Can you please feed the man? Oh, we can only dream. I really hope so. Moving down to Jacksonville, Mike Lennon will be the starting quarterback for the Jaguars in Week 12. Despite his valiant efforts, Jake Shooten Luton's time has come to an end as a starter. He does have the sa- sorry, he as in Mike Lennon has the saving grace that the Browns will be without cornerback one Denzel Ward. But unfortunately for him, he's also going to be missing DJ Chark, who's out with a rib injury. Going to be missing rotational receiver Chris Conley as well. So it's going to be Keelan Cole and maybe Lavisca Chenault. Chanel profiting there, but Jacksonville will also be without their left guard, Andrew Norwell, edge defender, Josh Allen, who they placed on IR earlier this week. They'll also, their entire coaching staff was sent home after a positive COVID test. They'll be without their defensive coordinator, Todd Wash this weekend. So the Jaguars are just in full free fall mode. The Browns are going to run all over them. Start your Browns backs. And must I say, Justin Fields is going to look beautiful in Aqua. And start your Browns defense slash special teams. If they're available or if you have them, feel comfortable about this matchup. Tua Tagovailoa was limited Wednesday and Thursday with a thumb injury. Apparently he jammed it off a helmet, but he is expected to be a full go against the Jets. Hopefully Ryan Fitzpatrick does not overtake him at any point in this game. That is yet to be seen. On the other side of the ball, Sam Darnold is expected to start Week 12 against the Dolphins, barring any setback. Darnold has now missed four games this year with his shoulder. So for his sake, let's hope it's fully he- healed this time. And hopefully he can up his value before he gets traded in soft season. Nick Foles did not practice Wednesday or Thursday and is officially doubtful for the weekend with a hip and glute injury, which led to some worries that Tyler Bray was going to end up starting. I wish I could tell you about Tyler Bray, but I don't know anything about him. doesn't matter, though, because Mitchell Trubisky's shoulder injury is healed. He got 100% of the starting reps with Big Richard Nick Foles sidelined. And earlier today, it was officially announced that Mitchell is going to make the start with a chance to win the starting job back. Now, remember, Trubisky went 3-0 as the Bears starter earlier in the year. Granted, in the third win, he was benched and Nick Foles got the win for him, but it still counts as a start and a win. But he was so bad at that point that Allen Robinson was fantasy irrelevant. So I really hope we move back to Foles when he comes back healthy. Yeah, and then Darnold and Trubisky news really makes me happy for later in the show. Tyler Murray was rehabbing on Tuesday with the sprained shoulder, but he called it precautionary. He was back in full on Friday. He's going to start versus the Patriots. Phillip Rivers, he didn't participate in practice with Wednesday with a toe injury. However, he is a tough SOB. He ain't going to let no GD toe keep him from playing. That's some malarkey. He may not be a young whippersnapper, but if you think he isn't going to continue his streak of consecutive starts, you're a nimkin-poop. You guys got your real Rivers profanity down. I'm quite impressed with that. 
Oh, thank you so much. I, I've been practicing that all day. I was worried about that impression. Moving on to running backs, though. The Titans will be without their left tackle, Ty Sambrello. He's headed to IR. He had been filling in for Taylor and Lewan. They also placed linebacker Jayon Brown on IR with a fractured and dislocated elbow. So that's losses on offense and defense. Their opponents, the Colts, a loss to Forrest Buckner. He will miss the game as he's on the reserve slash COVID list. Linebacker Bobby Okariki, he's also out with an ankle. So the 103 rushing yards that Henry had against the Colts, yeah, remember that two weeks ago? Probably his floor this week. Also, David Montgomery, he's back with he's cleared concussion protocol. As expected, it does make me nervous though with Trubisky being under center. I'm sure he will not be used as much in the passing game. Makes me lower him just a little bit this week. Corey Clement has been activated from the reserve slash COVID-19 list, so it's safe to assume that he'll be the RB3 behind Miles Sanders and Boston Scott and Jordan Howard. Yeah, he's going to remain on the practice squad. Sorry about that, Jordan. No, don't worry. Jordan Howard will rise again one day. Now to questionable players that are questionable heading into this. Alvin Kamara was limited Wednesday with the foot. Probably will play, but just thing to look at, look at uh, heading into this one. Yeah, not that it really matters. His value has dropped ten RB two or flex with Tyson Hill as the quarterback. Just it surprisingly though, it or not surprisingly, it's elevated Latavius Murray's value to the same range as a flex or RB two because they will split, and he's definitely a better in between the tackles runner. Just the fact that Kamara will not get as many passes because that's what running quarterbacks do—they don't pass it to the running back. Now, Jason, you ready for some happy news? Austin Eckler returned to practice this week. Yes! I am so pumped. Still not sure if he's going to get to play, but I am pumped to see that he is back in practice. Yeah, and as you said, Anthony Lynn says he has a chance to play in Week 12 against the Bills. So yeah, keep an eye on that activation coming Saturday afternoon. And our favorite player, Caleb Blage, was questionable with, with an ankle-calf injury heading into this game. I do have some bad news for Jason. However, Sol Sullivan Ahmed did not participate in practice on Wednesday or Thursday with a shoulder injury. He's been officially ruled out today. He, remember, he had to leave the Broncos game in the first quarter. Returned. Unfortunately, that won't be the case this week. We wow, did wow. see Miles Gaskin. I know, it's sad. But we did see Miles Gaskin return to practice. That's very exciting. He's wearing the red non-contact jersey. Brian Flores kind of remains wishy-washy on if he's going to play. So... Keep an eye on for Saturday if he's active or not. But if we're out on it, if we're without Gaskin, we'd be looking at a three-way committee of Matt Breida, Patrick Laird, and DeAndre Washington, and zero value to be found with any of them. Not even if there's a fire. I'm over the Patrick Laird crush. I'm sorry. He most there, though. He and Jeff Wilson, they have been designated to return from IR, which meant they both practiced all week. And so after a week of practice, they've both been activated from IR. Both are expected to play. Keep an eye on any last-minute Shanahanigans. You never know with them. But more than likely, it's going to be Raheem must start. Am I right? And Tevin Coleman was limited Thursday with the knee. He had been hoping to play, but he's officially out this weekend. Giovanni Bernard missed practice Wednesday with a concussion and returned to being limited on Thursday and is officially questionable. But head coach Zach Taylor says he feels good about Gio's chances to play. A little bit risky this week, though. What do you think, Jason? Yeah, man, he's just been looking ugly since the bye, and somehow Samaj P. Ryan is getting an increased role. But either case, I'm not playing either of them, especially with Brandon Allen. Just no, not happening. Speaking of not playing, Todd Gurley will not play this weekend. He didn't participate in practice at all this week with a knee injury, 
and he's officially being ruled out, which means Brian Hill is making the start. And now that begs the question, are either of you trusting Brian Hill to start this week? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's looked like a better runner all year. And with Julio struggling with a hammy and Hurst with a foot, I could see Hill getting rushing work as well as the short area targets. So definitely could be useful in fantasy. Yeah, the, the opportunity is 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 a reason to start him for sure. I'm just interested to see if they'll cut his, his carries. Like if we'll see some Ito Smith or whoever else they have. Kind of like what Brian Hill was doing to Todd Gurley. So Todd Gurley was still getting like 20 carries before he got hurt. So it will be interesting to see how this backfield looks without Gurley this Sunday. And that's not the only interesting backfield we have. Chris Carson, he was limited in practice on Thursday. Carroll is hopeful he can return from the foot injury this week. But if not, it's going to be Carlos Hyde show again. And speaking of the backfield, we also have Rashad Penny, who could resume practice next week. Pete Carroll's hoping that's the case. That means absolutely nothing. But maybe add Rashad Penny if you have a free spot on your bench because he could come back provide an intriguing one-two punch. Bo Scarborough, he was also placed on IR with a torn hamstring. Christian McCaffrey, still week-to-week with his shoulder injury. He is practicing this week, but not expected to play after Matt Rule says. He, Matt Rule says he's pessimistic, so therefore, fire up Mike Davis once again. Well, Michael P. Ryan went to IR with a high ankle sprain, so Ty Johnson and Frank Gore already on the roster, and Josh Adams has been called up from the practice squad. I mean... Piran was kind of a beacon of hope, a, a small one, but a beacon of hope and for this backfield and failed to capture the opportunity. And now it's back to the Frank Gore show. I personally love Frank Gore. I think everybody does. He just in the worst situation possible. But you need to avoid this backfield and possibly for the rest of the season. There is no value whatsoever on this, if basically this entire offense. Yeah, some of the receivers are okay, but yeah, I'm not playing Josh Adams again, not even if there is a fire. Pour one out for Perrine. It looked like he actually had a chance to seize that RB1 role. I hope he doesn't get miscast as an injury-prone guy after this one mishap. We're going to move to wide receiver, though. A.J. Brown, you know the drill with him. Missed Wednesday with a knee injury, something he's done all year, and then he returns in full. And I fully expect Brown to get vengeance for his drops two weeks ago. You remember, first play of the game, catches a 21-yarder, and then he drops two passes, including a 72-yard touchdown. So the Colts couldn't cover him. It was just Brown shooting himself in the foot. I don't think that lightning strikes twice. Monte Adams for the Packers, he is on the same limited practice plan he was in Week 11, should play Sunday with the ankle injury. His teammate, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, he suffered an Achilles injury on Thursday, which caused him to miss Friday, and he had him riding the stationary bike. He's officially questionable for Sunday night football, and keep in mind, Alan Lazard is back as well, the Lazard King. And finally, speaking of alpha wide receivers, Julio Jones limited Wednesday with the hamstring and that fall from grace from Julio Jones has been absolutely heartbreaking to see. He's questionable heading into the weekend. Calvin Ridley, he's been limited with the foot Wednesday and Thursday, but moving to full participant Friday, he is going to play this weekend. Adam Thielen was placed on the reserve COVID list. He got a positive result and then he got a negative test. So it's still possibly plays, but ESPN's Jeremy Fowler reports that Thielen not expect to play in week 12, so look elsewhere if you're relying on Thielen. Yeah, I mean, Jefferson gains value here, and a potentially sneaky start could be Rudolph. With Irv Smith struggling with injury as well, he would be another really sneaky target. Jerry Judy was limited Wednesday and missed Thursday with an ankle injury. The Broncos didn't practice Friday. They took the day off for Thanksgiving, but Judy's estimated status was limited, so he's officially questionable. 
the same tag he had last week. And I have personally of the mindset that if Jerry Judy is playing, you better be playing him. One of the 49ers, though, Debo Samuel limited with the hamstring on Thursday. Sounds like he's going to make his return, according to Kyle Shanahan. Again, you never know about the Shanahanigans, though. They seem less optimistic on Brandon Ayuk, who is on the reserve slash COVID list. So it will be Debo Samuel, Richie James, and Kendrick Bourne playing this weekend in three wide sets. Yeah, I would not be dropping Ayuk at any chance here whoa or- whoa whoa no dude do not drop Ayuk. i want to stress that i know you're gonna breeze by it but do not drop Ayuk. yeah right, because too many people were already bringing that up i am also not trusting debo to show anything as he likely draws ramsey this week and so really leaving james set up for some su- success but you may also want to look at tight end but we will get to that later as well and I know I said this last week, but Sammy Watkins practiced in full this week and is expected to play against the Buccaneers. I am sorry for getting it wrong last time. Don't blame me. Blame Sammy Watkins. I'm sorry. Keem Grant, he tweaked his hamstring during Thursday's practice. He's limited. Keep an eye on that. He may be declared out. You never like these midweek injuries popping up. Now for players that will be out this weekend, John Brown missed Tuesday and Wednesday's practice with an ankle injury before being ruled out with a knee injury. Brown's has had problems with his entire lower chain all season. And the Bills offense really hurts without his vertical threat. Uh, The Chargers will be without pass rusher Melvin Ingram and their top cornerback Casey Hayward. So let the sparks fly. And then Dawson Dawson Knox will also miss this game as well. Yeah, really making Cole Beasley an interesting play here because, man, he always looks good in these matchups. If you're looking at saving some cash in DFS, you may also want to fire up Gabriel Davis. Larry Fitzgerald tested positive for COVID-19 and will miss week 12. Our thoughts are with Larry Legend. On the opposite sideline, though, we have Stephon Gilmore, who is now missing practice with a hand injury. If you remember, he missed four games, finally made his return from a knee injury. So that's not good to hear. Yeah, but it does make it really positive for Christian Kirk, who should also have a good day next to Hopkins. Bengals placed wide receiver Auden Tate on the reserve slash COVID list, and he will not play in week 12. So our thoughts are with him. And Julian Edelman is headed in the right direction, but hasn't been cleared for practice yet. So currently, PFF has the Patriots with a 7% playoff shot based on their modeling. So if the Patriots lose, I truly believe we've seen Julian Edelman's last game in New England. I think for him to return, they got to make the playoffs. Moving into tight end, though, Hayden Hurst did not participate in practice Wednesday or Thursday with an ankle injury. He did come back to be limited on Friday, officially questionable for the weekend, which really kills Matt Ryan. Tyler Higby did not practice Wednesday or Thursday with his elbow injury. It will be a game-time decision, so possible upside for Gerald Everett, maybe? Zach Ertz is, quote, trending in the right direction to play in Week 12 against Seattle, so look out for that. If you have Zach Ertz, maybe tough to rely on it since they do play Monday. Irv Smith Jr. did not practice Thursday with a groin injury and a back injury. He's doubtful to play, so Jason already said that Kyle Rudolph has a little bit of more value this weekend. The Panthers do give up the second most reception to tight ends. And Greg Olson has set, been sent to IR with the torn plantar fascia. We mentioned this last week on the show, but just a reminder that the Seahawks will have a new starter at tight end. Yeah, and I think we're probably going to have to talk about that later for sure. I think we will. We're shadowing, 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 shadowing. Anyways, moving on to kicker, we have the Titans signing Sam Sloman to the practice squad, cranking up the heat on Steven Gaskowski, who probably deserves to be cut at this point. 
Chase McLaughlin was sent to the reserve slash COVID list. It's unclear if he's a positive test or a close contact. Keep an eye on that if you were starting the Jaguars kicker. The Jets have also placed Sam Ficken on IR with a groin injury. He missed a few weeks, came back for week 11, and was hurt again. So this will be Sergio Castile's job full-time for the rest of the season. But we're not starting any of those guys. Jason, who are we starting this weekend? Well, you kind of brought him up already. I'm thinking Stephen Gostkowski. I think the team will be able to move the ball and want to score any way possible. Tannehill should be okay. I am worried he doesn't throw touchdowns because Henry should be able to just bust one through. So in comes Kaskowski for you. Then we have Zane Gonzalez. I'm unsure of what shape Kyler is in because of the shoulder issue. AC joint, I'm just not a big fan of that. I think they'll be able to move the ball in a matchup against New England, especially with Gilmore potentially out. And his ability to run really allows the offense to move. Zane should be able to get close enough because, man, does he have a big leg and is more than willing to kick some balls. Never want to back an animal into a corner, and you never want to back a kicker into a corner either. That's what happened to Steven Goskowski, so he's feeling the pressure from Sam Sloman. Last chance, so I really actually like this start. You've convinced me, but that's going to do it for kickers. But just a reminder, as always, check. Make sure someone didn't make a poor kicker decision. Drop Daniel Carlson or Rodrigo Blankenship, because people do crazy things all the time. So with that, we will kick it to a word from our sponsors. Our friends at Monkey Knife Fight combine the fun and excitement of Vegas with DFS to make the ultimate daily fantasy prop game. That's right, and there are three ways for you to play. Stat Shootout, Rapid Fire, and more or less. Stat Shootout, you put together a two or three player team that will accumulate the most of whatever stat you've chosen to play. Touchdowns, total yards, receptions, etc. Then you choose one of three target goals for that stat. If your team exceeds your chosen goal, you'll win. And the higher the target goal, the more you win. So if I choose a three-man team for touchdowns, I can set the target at one and a half touchdowns to pay out one and a half times the entry fee. Or I can go big with a target of three and a half touchdowns to pay out 15 times the entry fee. Obviously, you gotta go big or go home. Then we've got Rapid Fire, where you select your team by choosing the highest scoring player in multiple head-to-head matchups of statistical categories, like who has more receptions this week, Julio or Devontae Adams. Each contest will tell you how many matchups you need to get right in order to win. But like we said, the higher risk, the higher the reward. Yup, I only need to get two out of three matchups right, and I win 1.5 times my entry. But then, when I go all in, and I can get five out of five, I'm looking at 15 times the payout. I can buy a lot of Josh Jacobs jerseys with that money. You sure can. Finally, there's more or less. Depending on the contest, you'll be given two to six players and their statistic target for that game, like Austin Eckler with over under four and a half receptions against the Raiders. You have to decide if that player is going to get more or less than that target number. Just like the others, more or less increases the payout the more risk you take. However, it offers the highest return. You can go two for two and get 1.5 times the payout, or you've got the nerve you can attempt to go six for six and hit 30 times the payout. So many Josh Jacobs jerseys. Well, the only thing better than winning money from Monkey Knife Fight is getting money from Monkey Knife Fight for free. I do love free. Just go to Monkey Knife Fight to sign up for a free account. When you make your first deposit, use promo code NONSENSE and Monkey Knife Fight will match your deposit up to $50. This is literally playing with house money, guys. Go sign up on Monkey Night Fight with the promo code NONSENSE and get in on the action this weekend. 
And we are back. And just before we go fully off the rails, send it to Jason. I just want to remind everyone that in the trust or bust section, we start with quarterbacks. And with these quarterbacks, it's QBs that are currently ranked outside the top 12 of Fantasy Pro's expert consensus and rank rostered in under 50% of leagues. Those are our trusts. Our busts, on the other hand, those are the QBs that are ranked inside the top 12 for the ECR that we believe will miss expectations. And with that, it's time for Trust or Bust with the Nerd. Yeah, and I'm pretty pumped for this week because I'm starting off pretty easy here. Jared Goff, in his past three games, he has thrown over 30 five times per game for over 300 yards over the past two weeks he has been quarterback 11 he hasn't been able to throw a touchdown in the game that i really expected to against the seahawks but then he went off monday night against the bucks i think mcveigh will be tuned into this game against the 49ers i see him being around the 20 point mark throwing multiple touchdowns and over 270 yards i actually have the over under right now 275.5 and i'm going with the over because it is the 49ers who allow 23.1 fantasy points to the quarterback position. We just saw what the Saints were able to get done against this team with Taysom Hill. So just keep that in mind. Yeah, Jason, everything you said about Goff is right. He's been playing well lately. But personally, I never feel good about playing Goff. Because like I always say, playing Goff is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. You think you're, you're going to be backed up by all these stats and watch them put up a stinker. So just be careful of that. I am a little concerned with the Niners coming off the bye and the Rams playing on a short week. There's always that implication. And plus, the Niners are going to have their full stable of running backs, Mostert, Jeff Wilson Jr., and Coleman, all back in the mix. And so they may run the ball to control the clock. You know, Mick Mullins, I don't think they'll have to rely on him too much. The, you know, Shanahan loves to scheme his runs. You know, the upside is Goff does have his two trusty guys in Woods and Cup to rely on. So, yeah, they could make Goff a reasonable option this weekend. Yeah, and the other guys. Probably a little more easier to buy into, and it's Daniel Jones. Before the bye, he put up 22 points against the Philadelphia Eagles, which is pretty good and made him QBE 8 that week. And an even easier matchup this week, he gets to pick apart the Cincinnati Bengals. His rushing floor is a huge upside for him. If the Bengals can get any kind of pressure on him to force him to run, he's easily over 20 fantasy points this week. I see this being around four total, total touchdowns, likely seeing Gallman find the end zone twice, and Jones throwing for two touchdowns and definitely for throwing for over 250 yards. Even though it won't be the shootout that I thought it was going to be with Burrow, I am still in on Jones. He's got the wheels. He's got the receiver that's got the wheels. He's going to hit Darius Slayton for at least one bomb. I wrote about this earlier in the week on my FanDuel article. Check that out on, on importantnonsense.com. But the Bengals have given up a reception over 30 yards in all but one game this season. So we're going to see Jones get two scores early by the way they've given up a reception of over 40 yards in i think four games this season as well so probably gonna have a bomb to darius slayton early daniel jones hopefully rushed for one as well and then they're gonna coast but even when they coast it's okay because it's a lot of that read option that they run daniel jones has that rushing floor so i am very excited about daniel jones i've got him as my qb 11 i've got jared goff as my qb 16 for comparison so i'm totally fine playing either of these guys but jason you nailed it take us to your bus yeah, and I actually even had him on my waiver wire show, so I'm pretty pumped for Jones for sure. But moving into bust, it's Mount Ryan. With Julio being irritated with the hamstring, I am staying away from this game. Hurst dealing with an ankle injury. I'm worried he won't be as explosive. And now Gurley is having his knee flare up. I 
could not see anything going worse. So they have Hill being a check down target. It could very easily be a Wizard of Oz game, but I think this team just struggles to see Ryan succeeding with a limited Julio because every time Julio's out, Ryan stinks. So I can't trust it. Not worth it to me. Yeah, and with Gurley ruled out, maybe that provides more of an emphasis on the passing game. And hopefully, for Ryan's sake, Julio and Hayden Hurst can both play in this game. I think the office can be still productive if they're both inactive. I think that the dud that Ryan had against the Saints was an aberration because the Saints defense is, or the Raiders defense is not the Saints defense. So hope, I think he rebounds a little bit against the Raiders, who are giving up the seven most, seven most fancy points to opposing quarterbacks. I didn't realize that you were allowed to hunt Falcons, but someone shot them down because the Falcons ship has sunk. Everyone's hurt. Julio's on the decline. It is a sad state of affairs. I have Matt Ryan as my QB 13 because I expect him to be trailing against the Raiders and have to throw it, but I've still got him behind the rushing floors of Daniel Jones and even Taysom Hill. I know I'm embarrassed to say that. Yeah, and the next one's even tougher for everybody to swallow. It's going to be Tom Brady. The old guard is going to turn it over to the new guard in Patrick Mahomes. Unless Arians decides to play to Brady's strength, which is unlikely due to Brady's ego, and Brady will likely get smoked. Last week, Brady was QB19 as expected because if he can hit Brady, he completely crumbles under pressure. I think the Chiefs know this and go after him. On top of that, the Chiefs give up 19.5 fancy points per game to the quarterback position for the seventh worst matchup at that position. Yeah, you're exactly right. It seems like teams have figured out how to stop Brady, just make him uncomfortable in the in the pocket, and I expect the Chiefs to do exactly that. And if, on the other side of the coin, the Chiefs are, well, yeah, the Buccaneers will need to score to keep up with the Chiefs. Unless the Buccaneers' defense completely shuts Mahomes down, which is pretty improbable, if if I'm saying that. So, regardless, playing Brady this week is is a mixed bag and could truly go either way. It is also important to note that Brady will be without his recent starting center, A.Q. Shipley. He suffered a possibly career-ending neck injury. If you remember, Ryan Jensen was their usual center. He shifted to left guard when A.Q. came in. They finally solidified it looked better. Now that A.Q. is out, I'm really worried about Tom Brady moving forward, even though he does have those weapons. But we're going to move into running back. And as we move forward, just a reminder that our trust for RBs are out players who are ranked outside the top 24 in the ECR. So that's an RB3 or lower that we trust for our lineups for this week. And our bus are players that are inside the top 24 that we think will miss expectations. Yeah, so the first one's pretty easy for me because James White, with Rex Burkhead landing on IR, Cam went to White often as he led the team in targets at 9, catching 6 of them for 64 yards. That's 12.4 fancy points right there. He was also able to add 19 yards on 5 carries, helping him boost up a little further. He likely will not see the red zone touches as Cam is a ball hog and Damian Harris has shown he is able to be the truth in that backfield as expected over the past 4 weeks. He is RB7. If only someone told you about him on the waiver wire show. Oh, wait, that was me. In that same time period, Rex Burkett has been RB10. Huge bump up for James White as the outlet that Cam will likely look to with only Ryan Izzo being the short area target. This week, he will likely check down against a tough Cardinals D. And last week, he was RB15. Pretty awesome for him, and I see that going forward. Yeah, it was nice to see White finally return to fantasy relevancy after the tough year he's had. And losing Burkhead makes his backfield share more interesting. But Jason, you forgot about our friend, Sony Michelle, who, who lurks in the shadows. 
and I think he'll absorb some of the touches given up by Burkhead. But as for White, I would be a little hesitant until we see some consistency because you know what the Packers are, the Patriots backfield, you don't know where you're going to get. So I would be hes- yeah, I would be hesitant to start him. But unless you're in PPR formats, then I can see him as a good flex option. Yeah, I like James White as a flex option in PPR because Sony Michelle and James White play two completely different positions. Sony Michelle is a pure power back, a bad LeGarrette Blunt. He's competing with Harris for the pure rushing role, and Harris is completely better than him. It's not even a question. So hopefully he keeps that, and Sony is just releva- relegated. The reason Burkhead had been so effective was because when he's on the field, you don't know if it's going to be a pass or a run. Whereas Harris and Sony Michelle really telegraph it. So now James White is really the only back on the roster who they're willing to use in that pass catching role. I won't say Harris can't do it. I'm just saying we haven't seen it. So like Jason said, had nine targets last game after Rex Burkhead went down. PFF had a stat today too that James White leads all running backs in first downs on screen. So he's still doing well with his limited work. That's usage I can trust as a super solid flex option. Yeah, and the next one's going to be even more impressive because I'm pretty sure I brought him up on the waiver wire show too, and it's Zach Moss. Since his first full game back from injury in Week 7, until the bye, Moss has been RB15. He's averaging 11.5 fantasy points in those games. This week, he goes up against my Chargers, who allow RBs to put up 28.6 fantasy points per game. Moss gets all the high-value touches and has shown to be the better back when healthy in that backfield. Yeah, I completely agree that Moss has separated himself from Devin Singletary. He's the most reliable back in this offense for fantasy purposes, and especially when Moss gets all the red zone touches, which he seems to be getting. It does concern me, though. Moss doesn't see a lot of targets in the backfield, so his ceiling is a little bit lowered in PPR, but hopefully Moss can further separate himself and we can rely on him heading into the playoffs. Yeah, and so moving to bus here, and I'm starting off with the team that I just seem to hate, I guess, at this point, and this running back who I just really seem to hate, and it's Giovanni Bernard, okay? Since coming off the bye, Gio is RB32. Now this team is without Joe Burrow, making Gio's numbers drop even more. He has also been splitting carries with Samaj P. Ryan, who has looked like the better running back and has me worried for Bernard's value. He has not been able to show up with the split and the lack of explosion out of Gio. I am completely fading him moving forward. Yeah, and it's sad because Bernard hasn't taken advantage of the golden opportunity that was provided to him with, with Mixon's injury, and especially after the bye, like you said. And now that Pearl's out, the run game may be even more non-existent than it was before. We already mentioned earlier to fade all of your Bengals players, and that includes Giovanni Bernard. And when you're tra- when you're fending off carries from Samaji P. Ryan, that is all you need to hear about somebody's fantasy value. Yeah, I am sorry, but I don't want the running back that's playing with Brandon Allen at quarterback in a timeshare with Samaj P. Ryan. Yeah, and the next one is another player that I've been completely off on for a while, but it's James Conner. This team has need to use a run game and does not seem to have any real need for Conner at all. I mean, they use whoever they want and will have equal value. I'm surprised they aren't using McFarland more. Little annoying there, but he continues to split, split work and he hasn't seen more than 15 carries in the past five weeks. His best outing was last week against the Jaguars, where he also had his best yards per carry at 6.8 yards. Other than that, he's usually averaging around three yards per carry. He also had his most yards last week at 89, but still only had 13 rush attempts in a game that I think is just ugly. If it even happens, I'm not trusting Connor to see a bulk of the carries or to be somebody that I am trusting. 
Yeah, this one's tough. So personally, I am actively trying to avoid any players from this game, just in case it doesn't happen. But if it does, the Ravens could be so depleted on offense and even on defense that the Steelers could cruise their way to victory, which will give Connor more opportunities to carry the ball and finish this game out. So I still think Connor will be a decent play with these circumstances, but just make sure to have an alternative just in case that this game gets flexed out of this week. Yeah, uncertainty abounds in this game and a player in James Connor that I've been fading for like two years now. So you all know how I feel about James Conner in fantasy. You don't need me to talk about it more. So let's move on to receivers, which will bring us to the fact that our trust at wide receiver, they are players that rank outside the top 36. So that would be a wide receiver four or lower in the ECR that we believe you can start this week with confidence. And our bus at receiver are those players that are inside the top 36 that we don't think should be there. Yeah, and I kind of went deep on this one because I wanted to have some fun. And I'm starting off with a trust who I absolutely love in Darnell Mooney. The reason I have been so off on Mooney for the past few weeks is because Foles has a noodle arm. I don't care. He cannot throw the ball. That needs to be thrown. Now, Trubisky is going to be chucking it. Mooney is primed for an explosion of a game. Allen Robinson will likely get Jair Alexander treatment, leaving Mooney to be wide open and smoking his defenders. This game has some sneaky shootout potential as Trubisky will have to sling it. Green Bay is allowing wide receivers to put up 30.5 fantasy points, and I am expecting Mooney to be around 15 to 20. So let's go. I am pumped for Darnell Mooney this week. It's definitely been a while since you've seen Trubisky play. If you expect this game to be a shootout, because I have no faith. I I have every Bears player downgraded with Trubisky starting, and I know Foles wasn't, didn't seem like a better option. I still think he is the better option to, to begin with, but... As A-Rob tries to outduel Jai Alexander, you know, Mooney may have a chance, but he'll probably should be avoided unless you have a better option because, you know, you're asking for a lot uh, between that range that you gave us. Yeah, and the next player is probably somebody you're going to be more comfortable with because Jamison Crowder rejoices as Sam Darnold returns to the quarterback position. In a game where the Jets have to throw, Darnold will likely rely on Crowder. Crowder hasn't seen under double-digit targets from Darnold all season and has only been under 100 yards once. Bust it, receiver. Yeah, so we'll move into the other one, and it's Chris Godwin. As a Godwin winner, I know I have to play him. However, this team continues to go deep, which is A.B. and Evans and Gronk's roles. As I expect this to be a case again this week, because, wow, they're going out to be chasing points, and Brady's going to try and show that he still has it against the big arm of Patrick Mahomes, this hurts Godwin's value so much, and as much as I want to trust it, I just cannot. Yeah, it's so disheartening how each Bucks wide receiver now is is downgraded because they all cannibalize each other, as Jack likes to say. Yeah, since AB arrived on the scene, he and Evans have seen 26 targets each, and Godwin's only seen 22. And yeah, those numbers will certainly fluctuate for the rest of the season, but it's a matter of who Brady likes on a weekly basis. All of them are startable, but all of them should be valued as wide receiver two or flex plays going forward. And that'll bring us to tight end where our trust are players outside the top 12 that are rostered in under 50% of leagues that we like to start this week. And our busts are players that are ranked inside the top 12 of the Fantasy Pros ECR that we believe will miss expectations. Yeah, so I went crazy here and I'm going with Jacob Hollister. Now hear me out. Greg Olson is out. Hollister has had some good usage and has seen as many as seven targets. The most outside of, you know, the top two wide receivers. And occasionally a running back. I think he could be a considerable asset as Slay will likely be on DK. Lockett will be the primary target and believe that Hollister could find the end zone as the big target in a massacre of a game. 
Ah, so you like Hollister over Will Disley, eh? Very interesting, and I wonder why that is. Because on the season, Will Disley has 313 snaps compared to 147 from Hollister. So Disley has over double the snaps. Disley's run 122 routes to Hollister's 82. So Disley's run 40 more routes. They both have 14 receptions. They both have one touchdown. But Disley has 163 yards. Hollister has 118. Disley also has 106 yards after the catch. Hollister has 59. So why Hollister? Why not Big Willie Disley? Oh, I absolutely love Disley. But at the same point, and less amount, he has produced more in fantasy. I mean, that's just how it goes for me. In PPR, he's the guy I want. Being on less routes run, I like him more. As for me, somebody who like I'm somebody who has Mark Andrews, and I'm looking for alternatives. So I I was actually intrigued by both these tight ends. As as of now, Hollister leads the duo in targets by only two. Hollister has 19, Disley has two. But with Olsen out of the picture for the foreseeable future, we'll definitely see a change in these numbers. But for me, I personally like Disley because of what Jack said. He seems to be more involved. And Wilson has involved Disley in the past before sustaining his his injuries in the, in the previous seasons. Looked pretty good. So, if yes, if I had to choose it, I'd probably go Disley. The other one's pretty easy. It's Jordan Reed. With him being the most significant threat and having success every time he's targeted six or more times, he averages 13.1 fantasy points. This is coming from 4.6 receptions on 6.6 targets for 45 yards. And... 0.6 TDs. So he's pretty much almost scoring every time he's there at the six target mark. So that always helps. And a matchup where the wide receiver will see Ramsey, which is Debo, will have Ramsey. Reed should see doubles data targets. So easily going over 50 yards for a solid floor that is hard to pass up in a tight end landscape that is like this. I gotta be honest. I didn't think we were gonna get this deep into the 2020 season and still be talking about Jordan Reed as a possible fantasy option. But yeah, I, I can see it. I can see Reed having the uptick in value if Ayuk misses this game, which is looking like a possibility now. The Rams have given up the seventh most, rece- most receptions to opposing tight ends. So yeah, he could be a nice play if you stream the position. And we'll move into bus here. And the first one's pretty easy for me as well, because as much as I love this player, it's Noah Fant going up against a team that gives up the fewest fantasy points to tight ends and the Saints that only allow 5.6 fantasy points to the tight end position. This team is already going to struggle as the Saints keep the game slow and have one of the defenses that have really been coming together. I am fading most of the Broncos players this week with Peyton likely focusing on the run because, you know, Taysom Hill and allowing his defense to do work against uh, Drew Locke, who likes to throw it to him, and the Broncos, who really don't have a whole lot of other options outside of Judy and Tim Patrick, which uh, I love Judy, but I just it's hard to trust him with that quarterback. Yeah, this makes me a sad boy, because you're probably right, but I love Noah Fant. But it's not his fault, because Drew Locke stinks. He's awful. Fant does have the athleticism to break a long one, and that's all you need in this scenario. He'll see the targets to make it possible, but Matt Ryan got dumped by the Saints last week, and Drew Locke wishes he was even like 7% of the quarterback Matt Ryan is, so it's tough to trust. Judy is really the only guy that I am saying start with gusto. Yeah, so with that in mind, we'll go to the next guy who's Hayden Hurst. He's coming off a limited practice all week. He hasn't looked healthy, and with this team struggling and a limited Julio, if he goes, I'm worried that Hurst will have a tough week. I feel like Brian Hill, the Wizard of Oz, and Gage will be the ones who get the targets over Hurst this week as he struggles through the game with an injury. 
Yeah, the nagging injury does worry me. So, again, have a plan of Hurst is real inactive this weekend. It, it's sad because I don't even think any of their backups are worth starting. Like, Jaden Graham or, or Luke Stalker, like, don't even get me started. So, But if he does play, I think he is worth a start just because of the tight end position and how shallow it is. And you've probably been relying on Hurst all season. Might not have a better option. So, yeah, tread with caution. Yes, the tight end position is quite shallow and pedantic. But that's going to do it from us here on the Important Nonsense Podcast. Thank you, Jason, for getting our lineups set. Thank you for not getting too crazy. And thank you, thank you, thank you for the lack of Kalen Balazs talk. I really appreciate it. Do you have any parting thoughts for all of those out there profiting off of your advice? Well, Kalen Balazs is still a good play this week, so keep that in mind because if Eckler's <laughs> out, you had to bring it up, and I had to too because, you know, he did pretty well last week if I had to guess. I don't know for sure, but pretty sure he was a top 12 running back. But any case, I hope you all have a good weekend. I hope you had a good holiday. And just, I'm ready for football. I'm ready for college basketball. It's been so much fun to be able to get away from our crazy lives with COVID to be able to watch sports and kind of get away from it. So here's to the weekend. Here's to the weekend indeed. And be sure to follow Jason at that FF nerd for all your start, sit and waiver wire needs. And if you're unhappy with the show, you've got complaints, you've got critiques, make sure you send them to Jason. But if you've enjoyed the show, make sure you leave us a five-star rating and review. Maybe tell a friend. It's easy to enjoy the show with the admirable Jordan McDonald here. Jordan, do you have any words to leave all your fans out there with? Yeah, good luck with everybody with their fantasy teams. And make sure you don't put yourself in a position where you have to start Kalen Balazs. Never Kalen Balazs. Be sure to follow Jordan at Donald McJordan. You're missing out if you don't. Just be prepared for the inevitable cult rage. You can find Jordan's work, my work, Jason's work, and the work of many other fantabulous people over on importantnonsense.com and on all the socials at NonsenseFF. Thank you all for joining me. I've been your host at Javanaugh87, Jack Cavanaugh, and it's truly a joy getting to preview the weekend lineup for you once again. I will be back on Sunday night for the Week 12 recap show, along with my co-host at the Real NWB, me Wallace Bruce, and at Dynasty PhD, Dr. John Chancy. But until then, stay safe, wear a mask, take care of your mentals as the winter blues set in, because you deserve it. And most importantly, don't forget to keep up the nonsense. Music for this podcast is provided by Lee Rosevere. I'm Tim Kitzer from NBA Jam and NFL Blitz, and you can find all the guys at importantnonsense.com. Kaboom!